So, let's just start with uh, our motivation. And really rejoicing that we have this opportunity to listen to the Dharma and to share the Dharma together. And that at least so far, hopefully, we've overcome the hindrances to be able to share the Dharma this evening. And so let's broaden our aspiration and do this so that we can improve ourselves, enhance our good qualities, purify our faults, and let's do that so that we can attain the state of full enlightenment in order to be at the most effective and far-reaching benefit to each and every sentient being because each and every sentient being has been kind to us and will continue to be kind to us. So take a moment and form that motivation and put what we're about to do into that long-term perspective. So, as it happens, we're here uh, at Deer Park in Madison, Wisconsin, listening to Geshe Zopala's teachings. And he's been teaching from J. Rinpoche's um, text, The Ocean of Reasoning, which is a commentary on Nagarjuna's Treatise on the Middle Way. And this series of teachings that we've been doing is on the essence of refined gold. And as it happened, because I've been teaching this text for a while over the telephone and then over the internet, we've just reached the section where we are uh, talking about diamond slivers, which is the refutation of existence from self, others, both, or consciousness. So, what we're hearing in class is coinciding with where we are in this text. So uh, I'm hoping to give a little bit of a summary of what we've been covering in class. Um, I hope you all have your gardening tools ready. We've been doing an intense study of seeds and sprouts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we have all become gardeners this week. but before we do that, there's one question uh, remaining from last week that I didn't get to. So I just want to start by answering that question. Uh, and so here, the person is saying, um, you know, that, that they understood the analogy of the car, the seven points, uh, that analogy of the seven points of Chandrakirti refuting uh, true existence. But he had uh, a question talking about when, let's say, he used, I'll just read the question he said, but using the car analogy again, doesn't the wing mirror designed especially for a Ford hatchback belong to the grand design that was the, fo- that was the Ford hatchback? Especially seeing as how this Ford wing mirror won't fit any other car. In this case, couldn't we say that the mirror and the other design parts does have a Fordness about it because it belongs to the original idea of that Ford car to which both the whole and the parts belong? 
Okay? So what this person is, is basically asking is, if a, a certain car part was designed for a certain car, doesn't that part inherently belong to that car? Okay? Um, if that part inherently belonged to that car, then anybody who looked at that part should say, this is a Ford hatchback. Now, if you take somebody like me, you could show me that, uh, that mirror, and I would have no idea what kind of car it comes from. Okay? So, it doesn't inherently belong to that car. Okay? And it also isn't inherently the car either because you can't drive the, the rearview mirror uh, anywhere. You know, I mean, flying carpets, okay, but flying mirrors, not yet. So, uh, you know, the, the mirror can't function as the car. So we can't say that it is the car and if it was inherently existent, and if it was inherently a Ford hatchback, it would have to be that car. Okay? So, that's it. Okay, now let's go on to, to what we're doing today. Um, so, this reputation of, uh, of diamond slippers, you know, refuting production from self, or arising actually from self, from others, from both and causelessly is uh, one that's studied quite widely in the monasteries. We've spent a long time on it here at Deer Park. Um, it's something that grows on you over time. When you first hear it, you're kind of scratching your head saying, what are they talking about? Aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> but after a while, uh, you, you know, you start to think about it a little bit more and, and understanding it on, on a deeper level. But it stems from the first verse of the first chapter in Nagarjuna's Treatise on the Middle Way. And that first verse says, Nothing is ever in any way um, produced from itself, from another, from both itself and another, or without a cause. Okay? Or, or uh, actually, Tukinjimbo recommend we say arises rather than produced. So to read it with arises, nothing in ever is ever in any way arisen from itself, from another, from both, or without a cause. Okay? So, it, it, the way the syllogism reads, if you construct a syllogism, okay, is a thing does not inherently exist because it is not produced from self, others, both, or without a cause. Okay, that's how the syllogism reads. Now, the mark of the syllogism has four parts that it doesn't arise from self, other, both, or without a cause. So you have to ascertain each of those four points, okay? That something isn't inherently arisen, it doesn't inherently arise from itself, something doesn't inherently arise from, you know, others, something doesn't inherently arise from both self and other, and something doesn't inherently arise causelessly. 
So you have to ascertain all four of those points. And last year's teachings, for those of you who weren't here, Geshe-la covered that quite extensively. There was some big complicated reasoning, which unfortunately I can't remember now, about why you had to, you know, it had to be a non-affirming negation of these specific points, okay? But anyway, it has to be. So you have to ascertain each one of those. Now what's interesting about this reasoning is that conventionally speaking, things are not produced even from themselves or from both themselves or others or without a cause. So the only part that actually involves, you know, really getting to inherent existence is the second one, refutation um, of the arising from something that is inherently other than itself. Okay, because the other three don't exist even on the conventional level, and you'll see why in a minute when I get into them. So we have to make sure on that second one that we include the word inherently when we're when we're doing the refutation. Okay, so let we, last week we talked a little bit about refuting that something can arise from itself, and so this refutation has to do with counteracting the views of some of the samkhyas. They were an ancient um, Buddhist, uh, an ancient non-Buddhist philosophical school in India. And they believed that there was this kind of primal substance in which everything existed in an unmanifest form and then things just manifested out of that. So they said that things were produced from self in the sense that, you know, this primal substance and then all the things that were produced out of it, the plant and the clock and the lamp and the painting and all this, that all those were the same nature as this primal substance. Okay? So even though they manifest out of it, they were still the same nature. So they talked about production or arising from self in that way. Now, the, there's several problems if you do this. Um, now many of you may not be Sankhya's, okay, so this, ref- this, this reputation may not strike home. But, you know, nowadays in the New Age school, there is kind of this view, isn't there? There's one kind of cosmic energy, and we all, everything in the universe comes out of this cosmic energy. Yeah? Or, you know, one, one theistic view is, you know, everything already exists in God's mind in an unmanifest form and everything arises out of God's mind. No? Something like that. So just this idea of like this one unified substance that connects everything and that we're all just manifestations of it. It's a very popular view, isn't it? And it's somehow very comforting to our mind, you know, because we all feel you know, detached and alone and, and, you know, I don't belong anywhere. But then we think, oh, but I'm part of this one cosmic energy that I come out of and I go back into. And, you know, emotionally, that, that can feel real good. 
you know and so most of the time our beliefs are not based on reason they're based on emotion even though we dream up all sorts of reasons to back up our emotional beliefs okay so I think this is you know at least one modern kind of example that's similar to the Sakyas now the problem this production or arising in this way has some drawbacks okay because let's take the sprout and then you know we'll just use the seed instead of the cosmic substance you know because we'll just start with the seed because you know we're all gardeners now Um, (laughs) so if the sprout arose from the seed and it arose from itself okay that would mean that when the seed existed the sprout was inside of it in an unmanifest form okay so there's a little seed and there's a sprout inside of it you know all ready to go and it's it's the same nature as the seed but it just needs to manifest out of that seed okay now it sounds good but what happens is then the seed and the sprout exist at the same time because they're saying the sprout exists it exists it has its own entity and it exists inside that that seed now can a sprout and a seed exist at the same time can a cause and an effect exist at the same time no way yeah that's impossible okay so that doesn't work to do that yeah the um the uh (laughs) The Buddhists sometimes tease the Sankhya's about this, saying that if the result uh, existed inside the cause in an unmanifest form, then uh, excrement would exist in our food when in an unmanifest form. (laughs) (laughs) You said, ooh? (laughs) Yes. Well, see, that's a big disadvantage of arising from itself, okay? Um, now another problem is if the the uh, sprout arose from a seed that already existed yeah and the sprout already existed in the seed then and, and it still needs to be produced so it's in an unmanifest form but it still needs to arise it's a little bit contradictory but never mind okay it still needs to arise well why does it still need to arise if it already exists its arising would be useless because it's already there and if you say it still needs to arise again even though it's already there then its arising would be endless because the seed would never get destroyed because you can have a seed and the sprout at the same time so that seed could produce a sprout and the seed's still there and then it produces another sprout and another one and another one okay so you run into this thing of either the, the arising of sprouts would be endless or the arising of a sprout would be useless because it's already there okay you might remember today Geshe-la, um at the close of he was a close of the, the afternoon session sometime today he was talking about how two arguments keep coming again and again 
these are the two that, that keep coming again and again you know because many of the material that he's been cover, covering although we've been talking about arising from other this week many of it boils down to the same thing of if the cause and effect exist at the same time then the arising of the effect is useless or if it still needs to arise it's going to be endless okay so those two keep coming again and again in all sorts of different contexts okay Um, another result that would happen if the sprout existed in the seed you know is we should somehow be able to find it even if it's in an unmanifest form it was real little or something like that we should be able to open up the seed and find the sprout can you do that? no okay so we can't see it and then another fault with that would be that because the seed and the sprout would exist at the same time that the producer and the product would be one the producer being the seed the product being the sprout they if they're one nature and they're inherently one nature then they're inherently one so but the producer and the product are different aren't they but if things are inherently existent or if they're produced by by self in this way there wouldn't be a difference between this okay because if you think about it if the seeds there inside the sprout the sprouts the producer the agent the seed is the product okay the thing that, that's arisen but they both exist at the same time in the same place so how do you tell them apart okay so difficult so this kind of problem comes if we talk about um, things arising from themselves or from you know inhering in their cause they exist inherently in their cause to start with or if um, you know there's a cosmic substance that we all come out of all this kind of problem comes about okay so we toss out arising from self okay scratch that one out then the second one is arising from other and this is the one that that has been talking so much about this week okay and there's so many different arguments so I hope I don't get them all confused because my head's so full of seeds and sprouts yours are too yeah. kind of things we're going to have plants growing out of our ears our <laughs> okay so so if a sprout arises from a seed and these two are inherently different from each other okay so the seed inherently exists the sprout inherently exists they're inherently different from each other then the the seed and the sprout would have absolutely no relationship with each other they'd be totally unrelated okay now in Buddhism we talk about two kinds of relationship one is the relationship of cause and effect the other is the relationship of things being one nature in other words 
uh, existing at the same time and being, you know, one thing being dependent on the other. Yeah. But if things inherently exist, you couldn't have either the causal relationship or the one nature relationship. Because remember, things that inherently exist are out there independent of everything else. Okay? They don't depend on causes and conditions. They don't depend on parts. They don't depend on a name conceiving and labeling them. They're just there with their own entity. Okay? So you can uh, get a feeling of this, you know, when we have that feeling about ourselves. Like when we get angry, when we have a very strong, uh, you know, emotion, non-virtuous emotion, there's a very strong feeling of self. Me. Okay, like somebody insults you. You know, and you get this feeling, how dare they insult me? Yeah. When you have that strong feeling of me, do you feel like you're a product? <laughs> do you feel like you depend on causes and conditions? No. You feel like there is this solid, 100% self-existing me in there that is being threatened. Yeah. You never think, oh, I'm dependent on a body and mind. I exist being merely imputed by body and mind. You never think that when you're angry, do you? You never feel that. You never think, oh, I depend on parts. I depend on having parents. You never think that. Or I depend on having a previous life with a previous mind stream. Or I depend on having karma that made, that made my mind stream connect with this body. There's no feeling at all of ourselves being a dependent phenomena. There's just this feeling right there, you know? Okay? And so, you know, we, we feel ourselves very strongly inherently existent. Or sometimes if there's something that we're very attached to, you know, something that we really want, you know, oh, I want this so badly, you, you know, kind of there's a million dollar bill you know the government hasn't made it yet but let's pretend okay um, there's a million dollar bill and I want it the first one and it seems like this thing is out there totally independent of everything else yeah, you never think oh it's just paper and ink or somebody designed the bill or you know anything like that it's just there it is and I want it Okay, so that's an example of holding something that's inherently existent. Yeah. So if something actually existed in the way it appears to us in that way, then it has its own independent essence and energy. So it's totally unrelated to its cause. Okay, it's inherently existent. It's unrelated to its cause. So that means that if it doesn't have any relationship of cause and effect with its cause and is unrelated to its cause well it's that million dollar bill is similarly unrelated to this clock isn't it and it's unrelated to the telephone and to the glass so if you still say 
that the paper and ink could produce that million dollar bill even though it's totally unrelated then you should be able to say that the telephone and the clock and the glass can also produce that million dollar bill because they're equally unrelated you get what I'm saying? yeah can the million dollar bill come out of the telephone? no okay so you see there's some well let's see here maybe <laughs> do you think if I prayed to Tara we might have a million dollar bill from the telephone <laughs> doesn't hurt huh? doesn't hurt <laughs> but it does hurt because it's kind of a waste of time because it can be disproven by, by reason okay so you know if things are inherently other then you know anything could arise from anything yeah Yeah. either that or there's no relationship between the cause and, and the result or again if you say there is a relationship then they have to exist at the same time yeah, and so then we get into that whole problem of if they exist at the same time then why does it need to be produced again or if it does then its production is being endless okay. now the argument I found very interesting this week was that when Geshe was talking about the seed being ceased and the sprout coming into existence okay remember that he did that a couple of days ago okay so if we think about it yeah when the the seed is in the process of growing into the sprout we have the, the the seed in the process of ceasing occurring at the same time as the sprout in the process of arising those two are happening at the same time aren't they the seed is ceasing the sprout is arising now if the seed and the sprout were inherently existent and were inherently other then both of them would exist at that time so you would have a seed that you could find that was in the process of ceasing and a sprout that you could find that you could see that was in the process of arising okay can you see the seed and the sprout at the same time yes is the wrong answer (laughs) no is the right answer (laughs) can you can can you have a seed a real seed that you can see and touch that is in the process of ceasing and a real sprout that you can touch and see that's in the process of arising can you have those two at the same time no No, you can't can you if they were inherently existent you should be able to have them at the same time okay they should be able to be there at the same time but they aren't then you get confused well wait a minute we're talking about the seed ceasing so the seed is the agent and the action is ceasing 
And we talk about the sprout arising. So the sprout is the agent and the action is arising. Why can't we see the sprout? It's an agent. It's doing something. Yeah. When, and when a sprout is in the process of arising, is there a real sprout there? No. There's not a real sprout there. So when we're talking about the sprout arising, what kind of sprout is that? Is that a real findable sprout? That's in the process of arising? No. No. It's a conventional sprout. And it's a merely labeled, but even it's not actually even a, a conventional sprout. It's actually the, the future sprout that we're labeling in dependence upon its substantial cause being present. So the substantial cause of that sprout that's arising is the seed. So in dependence upon that, we label a future sprout and that's the sprout that we say is in the process of arising. But does that sprout actually exist yet? No. Okay? It doesn't. We can still talk about the sprout that's arising even though there's not a findable sprout because we're only doing this on the nominal level on the conventional level and when you're talking about conventional things and nominally existing things we don't have to be able to find anything thank goodness okay but at least find it when we do ultimate analysis we have to be able to find it conventionally but not when we do ultimate analysis okay so we can still talk about a sprout arising without there being a real sprout what I find interesting about this refutation is it makes me think well what is my idea of things arising how do I think that happens in my mind do I have an idea of there's this sprout that somehow in, in the ether or in the Netherlands <laughs> you know somehow in some magical land and that's the sprout that's in the process of arising and suddenly at one moment the bell rings and the sea ceases and boing that sprout pops into existence is there one part of you that kind of can see arising happening like that yeah when I look in my mind, it's, yeah, you know, there's kind of this mysterious seed that, it has its own entity, has characteristics, it's out there, unmanifest, I just can't see it, but it's real, and it's in the process of like, it's going to be like some television thing, you know, how something like pops out, you know, like that, so it's just going to kind of pop out, and there's going to be the sprout. And it's going to happen at one moment and there's going to be this definitive line between when the seed ceased and when the sprout began. Okay. We can have that idea in our mind. Does it hold water? Is it possible? It's not possible, is it? It's not possible. Because if the seed 
had its own entity if it already existed in some unmanifest form then there it is already and we get all those fallacies again and then you know is it actually the thing that at one moment you know there's this line okay and up until here the seed is existing and it's in the process of ceasing and then when it hits this line this moment you know 22 and a half seconds past 5 a.m. all of a sudden the sprout arises is that how the sprout comes into existence? can you isolate a particular moment when the sprout comes into existence? no you can't can you? It, it comes into existence doesn't it and the seed ceases but is there one moment that is clearly defined and inherently existent that we can pinpoint and we can say that's when it happens and up to here it was the seed and after that it was the sprout you can't do that can you you know a lot of our legal system is based on trying to make those marks yeah and we we get into so many conflicts with each other and uh, over trying to draw these lines in places where there's nowhere you can in the middle of space where you can't draw a line okay and actually if you look a lot of our legal system excuse me is (laughs) is what we're doing is we're talking about labels and we're trying to figure out what label to attach to a particular thing is this his is this mine did it happen at this time did it happen at that time this one action is it first degree murder or is it manslaughter you know which we're, we're quarreling over what labels to put onto things but we think and each party in the quarrel thinks that you know the situation was exactly the way they described it not realizing that they've just attached a label to it and what you know the label they've attached doesn't mean the label that somebody else is attached to the same action okay so it's the same thing here you know we can't find that exact moment yeah when one ceases and the other starts or in the border between two countries can we find the exact two atoms between which we can draw the border we can't can we okay but if things are inherently existent we should be able to do all of that okay so everything should be very very exact but it's not it's not then you have the interesting question okay uh you know that as Gishila explained that conventionally you can talk about this the seed ceasing and the sprout arising okay the seed is still existing at that time and those two actions occur together 
but it's not necessary on the conventional level for the seed and the sprout to occur together. They don't have to be simultaneous. Because the sprout doesn't exist, remember? Not yet, anyway. Then there's an interesting question of if they inherently exist, okay, does the time that of the seed ceasing touch the time when the sprout starts to arise? Does the existence of the seed touch the time when the sprout exists? Okay, so is there this line there? Only conversion? Yeah. Well, hold on. Okay, okay. Um, if we talk about it inherently, we should, you know, be able to find that line. But if things inherently existed like that, okay, then if the seed and the sprout, if their times didn't touch, then there's a gap of space between when the seed existed and when the sprout existed in which case how could the seed be the cause of the sprout because the seed ceased and was long gone and then there was empty time and then the sprout arose okay so if, if, if things are inherently existent you know, you have to ask this question do the time of the seed and the time of the sprout touch? If they don't touch, then the the sprout, the seed cannot be the cause of the sprout. Okay. If they do touch, then the seed and the sprout exist at the same time. So we're stuck again, aren't we? <laughs> we're stuck. Whenever you hold on to inherent existence and you try and make an argument for it, you get stuck. Yeah? Because if the time of the seed and the time of the sprout overlap, if they touch, isn't then they're simultaneous? In which case, the sprout can't arise from the seed. Or if it does, it has to it's produced endlessly okay so we run into all these difficulties okay so let's see so some examples modern day examples of um, production from inherent other would be like production from an inherently existent God an inherently existent creator Okay, so I think production, you know, saying arising from cosmic energy, that would be an example of arising from self. Here, arising from other, and and here we have to say inherently existent other, because things do arise from others, don't they? The sprout isn't the seed. The seed and the sprout are other, but they're not inherently other. Okay. So, on a conventional level, arising from others exists, but in, on an inherent level, it can't exist. And so that's why, on this way, when we, ha- when we make the syllogism, you know, a thing does not arise from an inherently existent other. 
we can say something does not rise from itself on there we don't need to add inherently existent because it just doesn't arise from self anyway but with other things do arise from things that are not the same as them but they don't they can't arise from things that are inherently different from them okay from that one we have to make sure we add inherently or ultimately or some some other qualification like that okay but anyway an example yeah if we talk about you have an inherently existent creator yeah and then an inherently existent creation and the creator created everything the creator is permanent remember inherently existent things they're permanent they don't depend on anything and the idea of of an initial creator is the idea of there's something out there without a cause that always exists that's absolutely existent that doesn't depend on causes and conditions that doesn't change and yet it produces something okay so you have this inherently existent cause producing inherently existent world and people in it is that possible can you have something that's independent that doesn't change become a cause for something else you can't why not because there's a few reasons one is when something becomes a cause it it changes okay the cause ceases when the result is you know arises so if you had a creator that didn't change and yet was able to create that's contradictory because something that doesn't change can't produce anything else okay it's impossible because it's permanent it's independent okay also something that is independent you know it it doesn't depend on other factors so it's not produced itself and so it can't produce anything else either yeah it can't affect anything so again it can't produce and if you have an inherently existent world okay then you know and a, and a permanent creator that didn't change so the creator's the same before the production of the universe and after the production of the universe then did the universe exist you know then it the the universe exists at the same time as its cause it's the creator the creator right so we have cause and effect existing at the same time again okay so it's a, it's an interesting thing you know if there's one part of your mind that still likes the idea of you know there being an external creator of the world because again this can be very uh, comforting emotionally can't it you know when you feel like i'm just here you know oh how did i get here like when your belief in karma and cause and condition isn't very strong then you feel like you're an inherently existent self in a, in a cold isolated universe 
Okay? And that happens because our belief in karma is not very strong. And our belief in the continuity of mind isn't very strong. And our understanding of what the mind is is not very strong yet. So that's why sometimes at the beginning we feel like we're just kind of out there floating in this cold universe. And then this idea of this creator, it's nice, isn't it? You know, somebody created me. They love me. Yeah. Finally, somebody loves me. Although if they created me, I wish they could make me more lovable than they made me. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, so again, it's kind of emotionally nice. But when you uh, subject it to reasoning, it doesn't work. It can't work. And I can't be an external creator that's inherently other, that's absolutely existent. Okay. Then, so that's that's the second one: projection arising from other. Yeah, synopsis. Yeah. Then, um, (laughs) then the third one was arising from both self and other, and this one is the position of the non-Buddhist school of the Jains. Okay, and they said that a pot, for example, it arises from both self and other because it arose from the clay which is um, the same nature as the pot and it also arose from the potter who is inherently other so the, the, the pot you know arose from the, from the clay it came out of the clay it manifested out of the clay, clay but also with the help of the potter and the potter was other so it says you know, it's not self and it's not other, it's both. But that also doesn't hold up logically. Because if things aren't produced from self, or they don't arise from self, and they don't arise from other, then how could it arise from both of them together? It's like if this thing isn't an orange, and that thing isn't an orange, how can you put them both together and get an apple? You can't. Okay? So things can't arise from both self and other because they can't because they can't arise from either of them. Okay? Then the last one was um, causeless production. And I think this one's also very interesting. Yeah. The this one, um, in terms of the the ancient Indian philosophical school was uh, the Travakas. Yeah, and uh, or the materialists, and they would say, you know, the famous examples are that the color of uh, a peacock's feathers and the roundness of peas didn't have any causes. Okay, they were produced causelessly, randomly. Okay, and so things don't have a cause. Now. You know, there's people today who adhere to this kind of theory. Maybe not in terms of the color of the peacock's feather and the roundness of the peas, okay, but we might have certain um, scientists saying that, you know, particles appear out of nothingness without a cause. Yeah? And then, then we have a lot of the New Age people who believe in miracles. 
<laughs> all these things that happen without causes you know if we look around in our society a number of things I mean just a lot of people if you ask well how did you get here no cause I'm just here I was just born there was no cause why were you born you and not born somebody else no cause I'm just here yeah, a lot of people I used to think like that okay so you know there is a certain belief around that for people who believe in, in things arising causelessly now in terms of the Travakas you know who said that the peacocks the color of the peacocks feathers exists you know without a cause we now know about DNA in animals and we may not know exactly how the peacocks feathers the colors arose from the DNA but we know that they did arise from the DNA don't we so there's something that people were sure didn't have a cause that we find out later had a cause same with the roundness of peas you know we know it has something to do with the DNA even though we can't pinpoint exactly what so we know it has a cause now what about all the things that we think are miracles that happen without cause do they really happen without a cause yeah. or is it that we don't know the cause okay. can anything happen without a cause yeah. can you have this you know creation of the uh, this beginning of the universe that occurs without a cause did the big bang happen without a cause was there anything that existed before the Big Bang? Some of us, you know, there's a certain group of scientists that say the Big Bang was the beginning of the universe and nothing existed before that. Is that possible? Can something arise when there's no cause? It's impossible, isn't it? Everything needs to have a cause. So again, if we assert cause, you know, things arising consciously, there's all these problems. Because if things can arise without a cause, then anything can produce anything. Right? Because it doesn't need a cause, you can say anything is its cause. And if things arise without causes, then there's no purpose in making effort to do anything okay. if things could arise without a cause we didn't we wouldn't have needed this phone to have the telephone conference yeah we wouldn't have had to dial the phone to have the telephone conference because it could have happened without the cause the telephone and the dialing it's ridiculous isn't it <laughs> okay so you know everything could happen without, without anything you know and I mean we could that means we could just sit and you know hope for Buddhahood <laughs> yeah Buddhahood is going to arise without a cause so I just have to sit there and wait it'll come you know well it doesn't work that way sometimes we actually act as if Buddhahood arises without a cause don't we because <laughs> we don't bother to create the cause yeah. we somehow think oh you know Buddha's going to come and like oh boy you know oh my god I got it now you know? <laughs> yeah 
we keep on waiting, you know, guess she was going to hit us on the head. And, you know. <laughs> We're all waiting for the long life puja on Sunday, and guess she was going to hit us on the head. Oh, boy, you know. <laughs> that was the cause of my enlightenment. Yeah. So cause, you know, things arising causelessly. Also, that doesn't work. Okay. So, when we examine each of these four things, you know, and apply analytical reasoning, we see that that functioning things can't be produced from themselves. They can't be produced from things that are inherently other than them. They can't be produced from both self and other. And they can't be produced causelessly. So that means that they can't be produced or they can't arise inherently at all. Now, you're going to go, so what? (laughs) Yeah, it's a very nice Dharma teaching. I sat here. But, you know, I never believed that the seeds existed in the sprout to start with. You know? You know, and I never believed that, you know, the sprout, the seed ceases, and then there's five minutes, and then the sprout existed. And I never believed that they exist at the same time. So what are all these crazy reasonings all about? You know, why are you wasting my time with this? Okay. You may have thought that. Yeah? Um, I thought that too. Um, Not necessarily now, but when I first heard this, I was like, huh? You know, I don't believe all this anyway. But the point is, okay, the reason why we go through all these refutations is... We grasp at things as inherently existent. And we're not even aware that we're grasping them as existing that way because we're so used to it. Okay? But when we begin to notice and see what the object of negation is in the meditation on emptiness, see what this inherent existence is or would be if it existed, this inherent existence that we hold on to so strongly then if things really existed the way they appear to me then they should be arisen from self they should arise from other they should arise from both they should arise causelessly they should arise in one of those ways if they existed in the way they appear to me to exist So the real trick here, I think, the way to make this all this talk meaningful to us is to identify the way in which things appear to us to exist. And the easiest way to do this is when we're in the middle of having a really strong emotion because that's when the grasping of true existence is the strongest and the most apparent. Okay? Of course, that's the time when we usually forget to look at how do I, how does this thing appear to us? Okay. So we might practice insulting each other <laughs> as an aid to helping each other in Dharma practice. Okay. <laughs> because if you insult me, then the feeling of my inherently existent eye, my eye grasping, becomes very strong, and that appearance of a real eye is very strong then I should say where did that eye arise from? what produced it? what produced 
that eye that is really ticked off right now. Right? How did it arise? From where? How? Okay? And that's when this reasoning becomes very interesting. Yeah, because oh, there's this real feeling of me, I'm there. So what was the cause of that me? Where did it come from? How did it arise? Because it feels like it's always been there, doesn't it? When we're mad, there's me and I've always been there and I'm always going to be here. Okay? So so that's the trick to making, I think, the, the meditation come alive for you. Is to is to have that you know something where where it sparks where you're grasping and then you say how did that thing come into being? Okay. Okay. So we have to stop now. So let's just dedicate and uh, and then go back into the garden. And sit and look at the sprouts and the seeds and think a little bit about how did these come into being.